1: Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast.
0: It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name is Sammy James, and I'm joined in the company by Jack Collins. Hello, mate. So today we're going to be looking back, if we have to, at Saturday's 3 0 defeat at Craven Cottage by Hull City. We went into it saying it was a must win game, a should win game and probably a, a game that we could win. But ultimately, even though we had 75% possession, Hull very much took advantage of their quarter of the ball and scored three goals without reply. We'll look at what went wrong on Saturday and what Scott Parker and the rest of his team potentially need to do going forward to fix the current Messy situation that's going on at Fulham. Jack, how you doing, mate?
1: Yeah, I'm uh, not too bad. I'm a little bit better than I was on Saturday evening, anyway. Well, start. I mean, you're not an England rugby fan, but yeah, which is something.
0: As someone that is, um, it was a pretty horrific Saturday. Uh, all being told, um, fortunately, my local team Horsham, got a last-minute winner. Otherwise, something, something to rescue. Otherwise, the boys. it would have been an absolutely horrific. Uh, Bet has got a point at
1: Real Madrid. That was all right.
0: Oh, there we go. Um, Jack, what are the three word reviews uh, coming in from Saturday's game? As ever, it absolutely exploded when we lost.
1: Yeah, of course. And and that was quite fun. There's a lot of Hull puns. Um, I enjoyed Weekly Geekly's Halloween horror show. Uh, A lot of Chris Hewton in, Chris Hewton please. Lots of those. Josh Wickham mauled by Tigers, which uh, did seem... Dan they chanted Winter.
0: that again. I thought that chant had died a death.
1: Oh no! Honestly, it should, does deserve a does deserve some sort of punishment, doesn't it? Retrospective punishment for the league or something. I think it's really bad.
0: <laughs> I, I think they should be banned from going to matches. I think it's that bad. Anyway,
1: um, Sophie Johnson's Parker on tightrope, which I think was you know pretty fair. Uh, mauled at home by sandwicher and Russ SW six at our Henry Walker pedestrian Parker pointless.
0: Mm, lovely alliteration there. All right. Well, Jack, there was two changes from the game up at Middlesbrough. One enforced with Betts coming back in for for Rodak. No inclusion in the starting 11 for Magnus Norman. Could have been an option. Um, And then Steph Joe came in for Josh Onoma. I'm not going to lie. I looked at that lineup and I thought that Scott had made the right calls there
1: yep I completely agree with you and and you know it's it's easy to criticize afterwards but I think most of us if not all of us looked at that lineup and went yeah fair enough it's about as good as as we can get there were a few calls for for Seth ahead of Adoy I suppose Uh, Mm. obviously rested for a couple of weeks and hasn't kind of made his way back into the first team yet but Dennis hasn't made any crucial errors that have led to any goals for for change so that you know I don't know why he would be dropped at this point. I looked at that and thought, yeah, the balance that side is just probably about right. And it turned out not to be the case, but it did look fine from the outset. I mean, it didn't look good
0: from minute one, really. We just didn't seem to have a rhythm on the ball as we usually do yes there was lots of passing out the back but whenever we actually tried to get the ball forward and make something happen Hull really did seem to have our number and they just looked terrific on the break and that's where the first goal comes from really Alfie Mawson with a reckless um, charge at Grzycki who, who evades the challenge and from then on really we were we were fighting a, a losing battle
1: yeah absolutely it's a wild challenge for Alfie and he had a really, really poor game, Yeah, uh, I thought, at the weekend. I thought Tim Ream did as well, to be honest. although uh, there, there were moments where Tim Ream did look his usual self, but I, I, I'm still completely and utterly transfixed on the fact that that gap is leaking all of the goals. And I can't lie, he can't lay all the blame at Joe Bryan's door, especially when he didn't play for 89 of the 90 minutes. Yeah. Um, Maxime Maxim Marchand seems to get a, a slight push in the back. Um not enough however to justify him just basically looking up into the sky missing the ball not challenging for the rebound it, it was really weird you know obviously he's just come on he's not warmed up properly because there's been a 1 minute you know section for him to actually get on the ball get on the pitch and i do feel for him he's been played out of position there at I, I left back and but it's just not good enough, frankly. You know, the one thing you expect if you're putting in a centre back at left back is that they're going to win some aerial duels at the back post. And the first thing he did was lose an aerial duel, and we conceded. So I, I can't. I still think I'm thinking about that Mawson slide across the pitch more and more and more, and just don't understand what he's doing. because he's not really going anywhere. No, you know, he, he's he's out on the touchline. Keep your ground. Make sure that you you track him down the wing. And was it was a lack of discipline. Really weird, and and it was something that you know, basically underpinned the entire performance from, from everyone, basically, a, a lack of discipline. And I think that that's, you know, something that shone through quite obviously. We didn't have any positional discipline. The, the rain came and it looked like we were like, well, hey, we're doing slide <laughs> challenges. This is fun. And I was like, no, 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 stay on your feet. Yeah. You know, all of those things. The other thing is that when we did stay on our feet, we didn't close anyone down. So there were moments where we either went absolutely sliding in reckless Ottomendi style or we just stood off. Yeah. And neither of those things are the correct decision, you no, know. No, just and make, you know, close people down, make challenges in the final third. Don't don't go flying in and get caught. It, it just seems like basic defensive responsibilities and everybody sort of went missing, but I don't think it's easy to it'd be easy to overlook how bad Maxime Lamarcheon was for that first goal, and I don't think we should it, it was really quite poor.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to lie at the time, especially from my position in H4 where I had a exact kind of direct view of it. It did look like quite a big push in the back. And I was fully expecting the referee to blow at that point. Now, having looked back on the telly, it does look far more innocuous than it did from where I was, which I don't know if it's necessarily, is it just the position of the TV camera? Was I slightly biased at that moment, but I was fully expecting that to yeah. be given as a free kick. Regardless though, it's almost like when, Betts gave away that goal against West Brom. Yes, there's a nudge. Yes, you're off balance. But your first and foremost priority should be to get rid of the ball, not to just it kind wasn't even, of...
1: If he'd it, if been shoved in the back and he'd missed the header and the header had gone straight in, you could vaguely forgive him. It's a second ball. You can't be waiting for the ball to drop and allowing them to get a strike off on goal on a dropping ball in front and, you know, five yards out from goal because it's just madness. It's just not defending. Yeah. You know, pushing the back or not, he was back on his you know feet and should have been back, his head back in the game by the time that ball dropped for the volley. And I don't know, there's not really any excusing that as far as I'm concerned.
0: No, I did think it was Bowen that scored the goal. I mean, I was getting confused with Bowler and Bowen. Very, very,
1: uh, very difficult. It was very all difficult. very confusing. I think, we, well, you know, we haven't really talked about the fact that Joe Bryan got injured after one minute.
0: Well, yeah, I was going to, come on to this. I felt uh, going back to the rugby, that was uh, very much ruined by an early injury. And it seemed to be the same way for Fulham on Saturday. Not going to lie, Maximilian Martian was the first thought in my head. I was like, he's a left-sided player, but a lot of people rightly mine. Yeah. have said, well, why don't you move a doy to left back, which was always his natural position before he moved to Fulham yeah. and then bring on Sess at right back. Would and- have been
1: my it would have been my complete thing. We had two questions about this. FFC Riverside um suggested it. And also, you know, our old friend Richard Sol Bamba, um, you know, do you agree with Maxime Lamarche on replacing Joe Bryan? If not, would your choice would have been? The, my immediate thought was a doy to left back, Sasson. Yeah. Um that was my overarching I said it to my brother at the time when we were watching it, and then Max came out for the warm up and I was like, Okay, we're not gonna be seeing that then because you know but the <laughs> You can understand it. I, I think there are, for me, it wasn't the obvious decision in the same way it was to be, but I can understand, you know, Hull, Jared Bowen playing off that right occasionally, coming in for big headers. He's a big bloke. He scores a lot in the air. You know, you're basically asking a, a centre-back to go in and do an aerial job. But I think what what was obvious from the start, although Max did actually put in two or three good crosses, which is more than can be said for most of the team. Yeah. Um, you know, we massively missed the attacking threat of Joe Bryan. And I just feel like we were stifled by the fact that we basically couldn't play through the fullbacks in the way you saw Max trying to get round the winger a couple of times. You're like, oh, that's not going to work, is it? Yeah. So obviously Joe Bryan is a crucial player for us. Yes, he has his faults and we've discussed it. And I know Dom discussed it on the radio show last week and it went out as a, a kind of a social cut as well. But the attacking prowess that Brian brings to this side with his deliveries and his ability to get round his winger and, and get us to the byline is so crucial, and we missed that desperately at the weekend. George obviously has shown the graphics now. We've shown how narrow Fulham played, and it played right to hold strength.
0: Yeah, it did indeed. And uh, hopefully, Joe can get better. He does have weak knees, though,
1: or well, was it was back. actually
0: more of a hamstring back thing. Wasn't like it was like a
1: lower back kind of pull. I, I think he, tw- he had his shirt tugged and he sort of twisted. It looked almost like a, a back kind of strain, I would imagine. Yeah. So maybe, crossed.
0: maybe to ha- say his knees, but he certainly injury prone from what we've known from the first um, few months of Joe being here. You'd like to hope it's innocuous and he might be back for that Queens Park Rangers game, maybe at the earliest, if it's just a a couple of week um, layoff, the international break may come at the right time. But yeah, I think he may have proved on Saturday that he certainly is a crucial player for Fulham, how we set up whilst sometimes being uh, defensively a little bit suspect. For the rest of that first half, um, I don't think Fulham looked shell-shocked. We kind of continued with the game plan and we were unlucky really not to get back into the game late on in the first half. Uh, Mitro had our two best opportunities by far and both of those chances, someone of Mitro's quality should be sticking them away really.
1: Yeah, I mean the, the first one's way too close to the keeper, the turn on the swivel on the shot. Um You know, he, he does well to get into that position. It's a nice little reverse pass and you know, he gets his shot away you can't blame too much about that one. No. The header, however, it just has to go on target. It's a free header in the middle of the box. You know, he's at the back stick. Get out on target. We score. It's a different complexion of game. That, but I mean, I think interestingly you say about the shell shocked kind of thing because Tom made a, an observation to me at the time. He said, "We always play like four nil up." You know, we we constantly. You know, there's no real. We play like we knock it about. And and look, I'm a massive fan of possession football. You know, this it's not a, this isn't a criticism as such, but the energy levels we always, unless it's like 2-0 down in the last minute and we suddenly become like really frantic we always play like we're winning even when we're not and it, yeah. does, it is an interesting observation i thought
0: yeah and and we'll come on to the the team as a, as a wider sense in a second because I think there's lots of points to be made here but certainly the lack of chances created on Saturday was was really really alarming those two chances that we just mentioned from Mitra at the end of the first half are literally the only chances in the game even something like the extended highlights on the website that's that's the only Fulham attacks it shows and They'll always try and put in more Fulham attacks than not because of, it's the Fulham website. Of course, they're yeah. going to do that. And wasn't they, much to show. And they still couldn't find anything, really. Um, second half brought on knockout for, for Bobby Reid. Um, knockout's in this strange place at the moment and certainly not fulfilling early potential that we saw i didn't feel like it made a dramatic change it made us a tad more direct but
1: it's probably the change i would have made um if i'm being perfectly honest i I don't think at at any point i would have made a different one and i think we probably needed some of the immediacy the knockout brings and for all of his you know there are faults in his play and we saw that with overhit crosses and he tries a bit too hard sometimes i think is the truth of it but he does bring a directness to Fulham, and he does always try and make something happen, even if that is, even if it's not necessarily the right option. So it is one of those things. Where you've brought him on to try and make a difference. It's probably the sub I would have made. Um, yeah, it's just I, felt one like of Bobby, I felt
0: that Bobby did look bright in the first half, though. But as we've said, there is kind of no way of fitting all of these players into the side. The change that I probably wouldn't have made was Dennis Adoy for abubakar kamara
1: no me neither although you know to be correct to credit kamara he was he looked less bull in a china shop than usual it
0: wasn't really kamara that i massively had the problem with it, it was, a, yeah. there was there was no there was no they're they just seemingly we threw system out the window steph joe right wing back three defenders it was just a mess if
1: steph was going to go to wing back which i think is a bad idea as it is surely you play him on the left so he can whip balls in. <laughs> like it, it's like the basics, the real basics of what's happening. Surely Steph goes to left wing back so that you can you know, at least have, if it comes out to him, he can try and put the ball in the box. And I, I don't know. It, it does scare me that the response that Parker has to going behind is just throw system out the window and just basically throw all the attacking players on. It's like an 11-year-old playing FIFA. Yeah. You're like, "Oh, I'm losing. I just play all of the strikers." That's not really how football works. You know, you get occasionally in games where you're completely dominant and you feel like you you have the whole thing working, like the Charlton game for example. There are some things that that works, but we thought we saw at Stoke how badly it leaves us open to the counter. And considering how oh, we are playing on the counter from the get-go, never mind you know, even when we had less defenders on, it just seemed like a recipe for disaster, and so it proved. Well, teams
0: must be looking at how Stoke played and how Hull played. Just, just absorb the pressure from Fulham. Take the twenty percent possession or whatever that you're going to get, and hit us on the counter because you've got quick players like Grisicki and, and Bowen. We can't cope. No, we can Like the defending for both of those goals is is abhorrent. Alfie Mawson for that Jared Bowen goal, might as well have just said have a have a go mate swing it onto your right foot and I, he did, he's just gives him so much room, and then the third goal, the way that
1: the prizes <laughs> I've never seen so many people stand up and walk out of a for goal just just unbelievable it still it bounces off Mawson seems like he doesn't know where the ball is, probably should clear it." It just, everything about it is desperate. And I felt sorry for Harrison Reed, who obviously was the one chasing backwards, couldn't commit the foul because he was already on a booking, you know, trying his very best. And then he gets there, he puts him off enough that Bertinelli can stop the shot. And it just hits Tom <laughs> Eaves, and Alfie Mawson just watches it trickle in. It's just like, what? <laughs> the whole thing was just a, a case of, surely not. Surely that hasn't just happened.
0: Yeah. I mean, literally running through our defence. And and we saw it at times
1: last season, but this was at least Premier League players. Yeah, I think this is the thing to take away from this. That like, Hull weren't very good. No. Like, at and, and no point in that game were I like, oh, Hull are good. Like, yes, Bowen's a good player. Yes, Krasinski's a good player. <laughs> That's it. And like John Terrell playing midfield. And John, we made John Terrell look like prime Philippe Coutinho just pulling strings. And we were like, there is no... There's nothing about that whole side that should have caused us immense problems, you know. Aside from the pace on the break, and I know that is the thing that kills you in the end, but we we they weren't good. They scored three quite poor goals that were basically all preventable if we'd just defended properly, and we didn't create anything against a backline that you know hasn't been particularly great this year. I mean, I thought I season. thought that was
0: the only thing I feel you could really give Hull credit for. I thought they
1: defended. Wow. i don't think they and don't think we tested them at all I don't, I don't i didn't see us trying to you know we, we didn't do anything that would suggest to put the defense under pressure we didn't try any killer balls behind the back four we didn't try to get around them we just sort of played it around in front of them until someone made a mistake
0: yeah i was um watching a little clip on the man city twitter this morning. It was like one of their Monday motivation nonsense that they put up, but it was interesting. And it was Guardiola before the Southampton game. And it looked a little bit put on for the cameras in classic Guardiola style. But one thing he says, he says, don't cross for the cross's sake. He says, cross with purpose. And so many times on Saturday, we just, pumped it in we weren't looking if anyone was in 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 a good position and so i mean must have been three times where either knockout or mostly cavalero just booted it to the other side of the pitch like they were trying to like gain territory in a rugby match honestly
1: it was one of those someone did actually tweet us this morning and matt pettit said is there a stat on inaccurate crosses of the season because i think we can get in the guinness book of records and saturday was you know, the absolute epitome of that it, in many, many ways. It, it was one of those things where every cross that knockout no, uh, or Cavalero hit seemed to just disappear into touch on the other side. It wasn't even sort of close, you know, it wasn't like it went over everyone's head, you know. Or no one was in the right it, position. No like, these were absolutely like wildly out, you know, they're at head height as they cross the other touchline. And it really was mad, like almost to a point where you're like, are they taking the mick? And that worried me.
0: Are we just not playing to knock out and Cavalero's strengths? Are we trying to play like the Fulham from two years ago? But he really has. Ac- I'm 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 wishing that we had players like Ryan Fredericks back, who could who could cut a ball back accurately, yeah. and actually find a man that might be in the box in a good position. It's just it's so. That the attack is just so aimless. It's just kind of run fast. Hope you can get in a good position. We know that we can keep the ball quite well, and we're just praying that something comes off. There doesn't seem any actual tactics.
1: No, I agree, and I also something that's interesting. I think is when when Tom Kenny doesn't play well, Fulham don't play well. Yeah, as simple as that. And and this isn't really even a, a a kind of. Criticism of Kearney he didn't have a good game at the weekend, but everything can't go through Kearney. We can't have one plan of attack. He's going to have off days. And when he has an off day, we need to have other plans to be able to break down teams. And, and we just don't. And so when Tom Kearney didn't have a particularly good game, we fell apart because we weren't able to, you know, find a second option, which is nuts, considering the amount of attacking talent that's in this squad, in this squad.
0: Yeah, I ju- it just seems to me that Parker's philosophy at the moment, and maybe this is doing him a disservice, is to go, right, lads, keep the ball and we've got enough good attacking players that will somehow win the game. I don't know if the tactics are going further than that.
1: It's, you know, when and to use a comparison, when Zinedine Zidane went into Real Madrid, he basically his tactics were we have the best players go out and play. That's fine when you're Real Madrid. (laughs) Yeah. It's not fine when you're Fulham. You know, you can't just be like, oh, it's all right, lads, we'll win today because our players are good. That's not how football works. And it's never, you know, unless you have the greatest squad of all time in history, it's very rarely Well, it didn't really work
0: for Real Madrid, apart from in in cup competitions. It only worked in
1: knockout fixtures. You're you're absolutely right. It didn't work in the league, basically, at all. Uh, And it just was a question of managing egos. Uh, if If Scott is in there just managing egos, we've got an issue. You know, he needs to be coming up with some sort of tactical plan more than just keep the ball. We need to have some sort of ability to break through the transitions. And the only player, I thought, in the first half who tried to kind of spin in the half spaces was Steph. And, you know, he got the ball into feet, and at least he tried to go forward. I don't think he had a particularly good game, but at least you could see what he was trying to do. You know, he'd receive the ball, he'd turn, he'd open up and he'd try and release someone. And you'd be like, okay, while Steph's passes might not be connecting, I can understand what Steph is about in that hole whereas with a lot of other players i was like what are you doing do you know what you're doing do you you know dude is there an an instruction here is you know bobby reed being wide on the right for long periods of it i was like well if we're trying to do this thing where you cut in and shoot which you know maybe is part of the problem then that's you know you can't have him on the right you've got to have him on the left yeah And, and so it all turns into this kind of everything is the same every time we go forward it's sort of give it to one of the wide players or Mitrovic. And hope that something comes off. I like Scott as a
0: figurehead. And I still believe that Scott was the right appointment because Scott was the best chance of this club keeping its talents in yep. place. And and, you know, maybe yes, he's yes, he's wildly inexperienced, but I think Mitro and Kearney were a real risk of leaving this summer if it hadn't have been for the fact that Scott Parker was appointed. So, okay. Scott's a good man for stroking egos and for maybe probably g the players up because he's he's a leader and he's a figurehead. And, and actually I just think he's a good ambassador for this club. Yeah. Do we need someone like uh, Javi Pereira, who was Sk- Slav's number two, who actually maybe is a bit of the tactical mastermind behind it. And I know that Stuart Gray is a good coach, particularly defensively, but is someone... Well, is, I, don't, I don't know
1: what he's doing.
0: Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Saturday was a little bit of a shocker. But up until now, we, we've been yes, yes, no, you're there right. or thereabouts. It just seems to me that some greater thought is needed here. And I don't know what the answer is. I don't know who the available assistant managers with some t- tactical nous um, that are available right now. But it just seems to me that if we continue down this path of just hoping that our good players will win us games we're going to get nowhere near the top two. We might just sneak into the top six, but then when it comes down to the crunch, there's no way that, again, that philosophy is going to let you win the playoffs.
1: Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, the only thing you'd say is that that kind of big game moment is kind of maybe where the playoffs would come into their own and in that, you know, the squad with just talent. But it's not a sense of, you know, this squad is top two, top three, worthy it's not a squad that should be sneaking into the playoffs although you'd imagine people would be very scared if it did um i'm worried about it and i think you're absolutely right you know javi pereira a lot of people said was the brains behind that slav operation and and while slav was tact, you know was the the man who picked the teams and all of those things javi was the the guy on the coat on the training ground coaching all the drills and working out those things and and you might be completely right i think maybe a, a javi or, or someone of that ilk could come in here and, and and do a job and you know i think it's interesting people always talk about coaching staff and and, and all of that and we, we spoke about it a little bit last week on the podcast in that you know brentford have a set pieces coach you know liverpool have a throw-in coach for god's sake like and, and while that's taking it to an unusual extreme yeah you know, you see the stats of what actually happened and, you know, there's a brilliant TIFO video on this, TIFO football um, and you see the actual stats of how they're working throw-ins and the, the amount of time they don't just lob the ball in, they go, they find a player, they they practice different things to actually get the ball into good spaces at throw-ins and the stats of actually how they've improved in scoring goals or keeping possession or all these things since they got, the, since the coach came in are nuts. Yeah. So, you know, you look at these things and you go, okay, can you be overcoached? Maybe, maybe you can, but, the fact that you know our corners and and, and set pieces and uh, and you know the first the one where Steph won the free kick in the first half and played the ball wide to Cav, who was shut down by three men immediately. When yeah. We had all these players on a skiddy surface, and we know Steph can score that. You know that looping one at the back post, and if someone touches it, they do, and if they don't, they don't. And it's really a proper nightmare for keepers to deal with. we scored one of them for West Brom. He we scored one of them for us against Villa at Villa Park, if you remember, and. It's like one of those where it was just crying to on a greasy surface to be dropped into that area where it's going to cause chaos, and instead we went to cut. to Cav looked like he didn't know that it was coming. Yeah, he got closed down. went out for throwing. We're like, what?
0: well, yeah. Ultimately, um, it was about as useful as Alfie Morrison's famous
1: free kick. In the end, wasn't it? It was. It was worse. At least Alfie Morrison's free kick, you could see what he was trying to do. Yeah, like, this was just <laughs> bad all round. So it is just, it was really weird. I found it very strange and I do, I do worry that the coaching staff is a little bit light.
0: Yeah. I mean, there are lots of talks about Parker himself. I mean, it does seem quite harsh just to throw him under the bus after what is essentially one bad
1: result. Yeah, absolutely. I think we've just been lacking ideas slash ideology for a little while now. And and since we've come back from that international break, actually, we've really struggled and I don't think anyone would would beg to differ on that. You know, we've won games occasionally, but we haven't been good. You know, even the Luton game, we weren't.
0: Well, Mitro got us out of jail.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it is one of those where you want to see changes and quickly and and something that I I praised Parker for early on in the season was learning from his mistakes. Uh, He needs to do that again now and he needs to do it quickly because it's not about the results really here. It's about the fact that this squad should be decimating teams. And not necessarily a Hull, you know, we should have won, we should have won that game on paper, but things happen. And, and, you know, we do, it was more the fact we didn't create any chances. Yeah. That's what really, really worried. Oh yeah.
0: If Hull came and Fulham um, were on top, but actually we were just had one, one of those days at the back and nothing went in for us. I wouldn't be sat there so concerned, but now for three, four games in a row, We've just not created anything, not look like going anywhere and not looked like we have a tactical plan. And, and Saturday was just really drab for that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And look, people are saying we're five points off top, which is fair enough. You know, well, we no could, one wants to run
0: away with this league. Well, that's
1: it. We could be, we could be seven points off top. If West Brom win tonight, yeah. you know, at the time of recording, we'd also be, if it's seven points off, we'd be seven points off 21st. So if West Brom win tonight, we're equal spaces from top and 21st, which is the spot just over, just above the, the relegation zone. So it's not about being close to top or close to, it's about where we feel that we actually are because, you know, Luton are there. There's, there'll be seven points behind us. And, and you've got to look at these, you know, these different bits and bobs and think about where. But also
0: we have had a good run of fixtures and we have not taken advantage of them. And absolutely. maybe, you know, talking about Scott, as a leader and, and as a good person that works with egos, maybe he'll raise us for those bigger games, but also it could be a car crash because following the international break, you've got QPR who, okay, a little bit of a slide, but still have been dangerous. This They're season. exactly the same points as us. Um, I, okay. I don't think that the Derby County game is that hard anymore, but still a team full of pedigree. But then we go, the Derby are two points behind us, but then we go away to Swansea. Yeah. We welcome Bristol city, to the cottage you've got the that enormous horrible looking brentford game
1: i'm really scared
0: um you've got leeds yeah you've got like some real tough games coming up in december all the
1: way from qpr to leeds and then we're away to loon which isn't going to be a nice place to go either but you know from qpr to leeds there are five massive fixtures massive massive fixtures in terms of you know. While, you know, QPR and, and, and Brentford are, are are gonna be up there and I do think they're gonna be in and around the mix at the end of the season, on top of that they're local derbies and they're games that nobody wants to lose. Yeah. You know, these are these are huge games for morale. They're huge games for you know, we go to you remember that performance where we went to Brentford and got played off the park, lost three nil, the end of Jazz Richards' career. Yeah. At Griffin Park, basically. Um, and the the fallout from that game was just horrendous because it was like, you know, if we'd lost three nil away at Sheffield Wednesday, you would have been like annoying, but mm. you know, sometimes it happens. You can't do that. And Brentford are, are flying. It just does. It concerns me massively. And I think that QPR are a bit like us. They're a bit Jekyll and Hyde, but you know, we could, we'd could get pinged by QPR. We'd lose three nil to QPR at home. You're like, yeah, you know, QPR are a better side than Hull.
0: Yeah, I think it's it's a huge missed opportunity because yes, you can say we're five points off top, but we have really not taken some chances in the in the past few weeks. And yes, other sides are dropping easy points as well.
1: Yeah, you no, know, of West,
0: course. West Brom drew a game against Charlton, they shouldn't really have drawn. They they drew against Barnsley and that was only just a scraping of a draw as well. It could have been a it could have been a defeat. But it's still we've got to look after our house before we look at yeah. the fact that the other rest people of the not is doing up. well
1: isn't an excuse for us not doing well. That's not yeah. a, you know the fact that no one has taken a grip of this league is 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 a little bit mitigating in some regards because it means that it doesn't look as bad as it could be, but it doesn't change the fact that we're not very good at the moment. And if we are to to go on and and do something in this division, we need to become good quite quickly. Okay. Well, before we
0: take a quick break. If this is a meeting, what would you say the action point is for for, for the next couple of weeks?
1: How long have you got? You know, we, we need to find out what our best defence is. We need to work out what our full backs are doing. You know, because if we're not breaking down teams, we need to get a second plan of action in place. And that has to be, I think, from our perspective, something to do with the fullbacks because we're not creating anything and we're not getting to the bylines. And we're not driving balls into the box where, you know, we saw that goal for Mitrovic against, against Luton, two slide rule passes across the board, goal finished yeah. and, and that's what you do you create chances that have high expected goals if you will but it doesn't matter you know high chances of going in you create good clear-cut chances and then mitrovich will score goals because he's the best goal scorer in this division yeah so we need to work out if tom kenny's having an off day someone else has to step up someone else has to work out you know we need to work out what we formation have plenty we play. of people
0: that can play that ten. I'd like to see, you could see, you could see Bobby Reid coming in and, do, and and doing a job. And, I'm and not and saying drop Kenny, like, by any stretch of the no, no, so imagination, I think he's there's our most blend, important player. There's, there's, we, have a, we have a squad blessed full of talent. As you say, surely there's got to be plan B, C and D up top. If we're not creating chances in that first 45 minutes like we weren't,
1: yeah and it's the 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 answer isn't throw all the forwards on either it's got to come through system you've got to work out ways of breaking teams down by putting people into the half spaces by you know taking on and maybe you know Scott dealt his card too early and actually what he should have done was was gone with a you know a Tom Kearney Bobby Reed in the middle ahead of a Harrison Reed or, or whatever or maybe Harry Arter when he comes back will just provide us with a little bit more stability or I don't know I'm not I'm not saying that all of these things are the answer what I'm saying is there needs to be some options for Scott that aren't just chuck everyone on and see what happens yeah
0: well it was certainly a concerning one on Saturday fingers crossed though there can be some lessons learned from Saturday. And That's as we it. found out in seventeen eighteen, you can afford to make these mistakes at this point, rectify it and, and fix and, and fix things. And we're still nowhere near as adrift as we were in that season. And we still managed to make a comeback, but it's getting to the point now that if we don't start picking up some serious victories soon, we're literally going to have deja vu again. And I'm not backing lightning to strike twice. No, agreed. Okay. Well, let's take a quick break. There's loads of your questions to get through. Uh, So we'll take a look at them after this. Fulhamish has partnered with theterrissstore.com who have a great range of official Fulham merchandise with a retro twist. Some amazing products with throwbacks to some of the iconic Fulham kits of yesteryear. Right now, Fulhamish listeners can get 10% off. Just use the code FULHAMISH when you check out. Uh, They've got some great presents, particularly with Christmas around the corner. So make sure you use the code FULHAMISH for 10% off that's at the dot hello and welcome back to the fulhamish podcast sammy james here with jack collins hello mate right so we've got a load of questions to get through um in this section of the pod as always uh, we do love your questions coming in um jack what are they saying in the mailbag
1: my favourite one was was maybe a, a light-hearted start from Christian Liedberg who said, what has the biggest gap in it, our defence or the Riverside stand? <laughs> <laughs> the answer remains our defence. Yes. Um, Although
0: that gap is getting bigger uh, at the
1: Riverside. I mean, it seems like the world... Junior doesn't have a spot anymore. He's like wandering around like a lunatic.
0: Yeah, he was kind of in the corner. I wasn't
1: even sure if he could see the game. I was thinking that. Where he was stood. He was kind of
0: like behind the
1: fence. It's getting really cold. The back of the hammersmith Center by yeah, the way. It it is. Like i was moved I moved across to h six for for this game uh, to accommodate a couple more people with me and it's real cold <laughs> the back of h yeah. six very very cold. the wind's starting to whip up the back as well
0: it's just kind of weird being able to see that much of the river as well. you can see the the rowing club. The other side, it is just. And it's gonna get bit...
1: worse, isn't it? Because it's coming in from both sides. That, yeah. that that Riverside stand will be gone soon.
0: It does feel like the world's slowest demolition. Like I'm sure there's reasons well, behind this. Well, you have
1: this. to clear it, and it's quite hard to get. It's clearing I mean, things in And obviously are- we can't come through the back because it will kill the pitch. Yeah. So there are you know there are mitigating circumstances, yeah. I imagine. I know- don't, like, you're completely right. It feels like it's taking forever to take down the stand.
0: It feels like you just want to go in there, stick a couple of lumps of TNT, and just get rid of the whole damn thing. But
1: Yeah, I imagine that's not how things work.
0: I'm not a construction expert, I'm a radio producer. So uh, don't don't come to me next time you need your house knocking down. Um right, what was uh, what was next?
1: J. E. Harknessil or John E. Harkness at Am I having deja vu? Are we really talking get the manager out of this part of the season? Did we not learn from last season? Look how that turned out too early, way too early. Uh, I sense it's an interesting point. You know, I don't think the two situations are completely comparable, if I'm honest. um, With one doing far better this season than we were last season, but this squad is underachieving. So I think it's something to do, it's more to do, like we said in the first half, with identity and you know, looking like there's a system in place than necessarily getting results because, like you say, five slash seven by the end, maybe by the time you listen to this, off top isn't a terrible place to be in November. However, five slash seven off top in February or 10 off top or 13 off top, then we're a problem because, you know, we're looking for an international, uh, we're looking for an automatic spot yeah. this this year. And, and if we don't get one, I think this squad is underachieved. So at some point you have to look at look at the manager and be like, he's not getting the best out of this squad. I agree with you in that. I don't think we should fire Parker now. Uh, and a lot of the Chris Hughton ins, I don't agree with either. I don't think I can't, Chris is the I'm sorry answer. with
0: the Chris Hughton stuff. He's, it's chalk and cheese. Did we not learn our lesson from last year? This season? is the lesson
1: I would learn from last year. If we're going to fire the manager, we need to put a progressive manager in who likes possession-based football we can get the best out of this squad. The lesson we should have learned from bringing Ranieri in was that if you completely like throw out the rule book and dust out what we've done, then you completely, uh, you, you completely nullify all of our strengths, which is what Ranieri did. And it ends up being even worse than what it was to begin with. If you replace a manager, you have to replace him with someone who's going to fit with the identity of the squad. And Chris Hutton is not that man.
0: No, I, I just really feel like... That is the main, you're, you're, you're so spot on. You couldn't be more spot on. And the fact that, look, Chris Euton did good things at Brighton. and
1: yeah, fair play to him. Good, good new, manager with the right squad, but not got, this squad.
0: He got Newcastle promoted in a difficult time for them and, and was very harshly sacked by by them when they first came up to the Premier League. But if you speak to Norwich fans and also you speak to Brighton fans, um, maybe not all Brighton fans, but certainly Norwich fans, he has real limitations as well if you then go up.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's just very attritional. And I don't think that's what we want with this squad. This squad should be blowing teams away. And I know they can't do that every week and there are going to be harder games. And, but, you know, you don't want someone who's restricting your attacking potential with this amount of attacking talent.
0: Yeah, precisely. Uh, so, yes. Um, interesting, the comparisons though with, with last year. Uh, it's the 4th of November today. Um, it was the 14th of November that Slavisa um, was given the chop um, by Shahid last year and then Ranieri was brought in on the same day and well Shahid was in attendance on Saturday now Tony makes a large proportion of the games I don't think he's been at loads recently given all of the AEW stuff that's going on in the states but Shahid doesn't come all that often and it was the this time last year, it was the Bournemouth game where we got thumped three nil. Um, and also the Jacksonville Jaguars also lost again. Um, I think maybe like we need to stop the roar or something coming over because they seem to be some sort of bad luck omen. Um, but that will have been really worrying for, for Scott as he went to bed on Saturday night thinking bollocks. If there was a game that we needed to not lose three nil, it was was probably the one where shade was in attendance. Do you think that, that will have any bearing on it on his mindset?
1: Yes and no. Um, obviously, you you have more... He will have seen streams of Fulham fans walking out after the third goal went in, and that's not a good sign. You know, from any perspective, if you're looking at it from a club, from a business, from, from whatever perspective at all you're looking at it, Fulham fans walking out on 83 minutes because, you know, they're so, so disappointed in a performance is never a good look for a manager. Yeah. Um, that said... We're not floundering at the bottom of the table with, you know, and and like you say, they'll look at that table and say, we're five points off top, we're seven points off top. This isn't the end of the world yet. I I think there will be, it will be a warning bell for Scott. uh, And maybe that's a good thing. Um, And maybe he needs that to think about things and be like, okay, maybe I need to do more than just tell this squad that they're good enough and, you know, actually think about things and ask for help or whatever it is he needs to do. I'm not here saying that I know. Better than what he does. I'm saying that I can look at it from a different perspective, Um, and I think that if he looks at that as a you know a kick up the arse, if you will, if nothing else. And I know that there should have been plenty of these. There should have been one at Stoke. There should have been you know all of those things might have have reacted in in a similar way. But doing it in front of the boss is is a different thing. And I think that that will have some bearing. I think there will be chats. There will be kind of discussions about them being unhappy with that performance because they would have been. So it is interesting, but I don't think it will be as destructive as last time because of where we are in the table.
0: I mean, generally, Halloween's not a pretty time. If you think the last three years, there was that Bournemouth one we mentioned. The year before was when we got absolutely humbled by Bristol City at home, which was on Halloween as the well. Sammy as, Abraham. Yeah. That was a bad bad day. (laughs) That was a very, very bad day. So um, there's clearly something with the time of year and and Fulham at the moment. Um, I'm sure it's not linked, but it does seem to be.
1: um, Just a a bad time for us overall. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Right, what else is coming in? Samuel Stone says, Are Fulham's wide players too predictable in attack, e.g. cut inside Cavalero? And are we missing someone to pick the ball up between the lines? Kearney seems to be playing too high and too wide.
0: I think that there's definitely, and we alluded to this in in the first part of this podcast, that whenever, especially Cav has the ball, I'm not convinced that something magical is going to come unless he sticks it straight into the top corner. I can't remember this season Cavallero making a magical assist.
1: Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. He, he offers lots. And you know what? Over the last few weeks when we've been poor, Cavalera has actually done really well, especially when we picked him out after Borough. Mm. And we said that Cav had had a really, really good game, um, working very hard, you know, got the ball away from danger and, and all of those things. So there, is, there are massive upsides to Ivan Cavalera. And I'm not suggesting that he's a problem, but I think he is predictable as a footballer and i think actually what wolves did really well when they played him in that 343 three, was they basically left him as an inside forward all he would do was they would slot that ball inside the channel and he would put it away yeah. and actually we don't do that very much with him sort of we give him the ball wide and wait for him to cut in in fact maybe we should be pushing him a little bit more narrow closer to mitrovic uh, and and getting him you know slide rules from Kearney or whoever that is in the middle to just get him to hit it first time almost and that, and that would be his strengths i think it's it's something maybe we, we have in general and it's not something that's new. We don't get players around Mitrovic very much. You know, he, he's very isolated a lot of the time and our wingers drag wide a lot because our fullbacks don't necessarily overlap that much. And I think all of those things are contributing and and it kind of ties into the second point that Kearney plays a little bit too high and too wide. Maybe yes, but he doesn't, he doesn't get tight to Mitrovic either. It's one of those where he's sort of caught between the rock and the hard place and that he you know, he doesn't like dropping too deep. And we've we've commented before that he's best when he gets higher up the pitch and gets into areas where he can cause damage. But equally, there wasn't anyone to feed him the ball from those areas. And maybe that's where Harry Arter was good. And maybe that's what Harry Arter brought to the team. And we, we've looked at this midfield combination time and time again. We think Harrison Reid has almost cemented his place. And I was praising Steph earlier for, for kind of turning in the half spaces. And I think that's important, but he doesn't carry from deep. He'll look for the ball on the halfway line and then turn, fine. But he doesn't pick the ball up and drive. And I think that maybe that's what Arter offers that allows Cairns to stay more central uh, and get the ball in those more dangerous positions, which he didn't do on Saturday.
0: Um, I've got a question here from Thomas Wilson uh, said, hello, chaps. Are we seeing too much tinkering from Parker? I'd he- be tempted to call it healthy rotation if we'd put a run of form together or we were routinely winning games convincingly, but that isn't the case. I appreciate that it's a good attribute, especially for a rookie manager to be unafraid of dropping players, but has the midfield been given a chance to settle with Cav knocker Arter? to Steph, Joe, Bobby, etc., all being dropped and reinstated over the first 14 games. Does Scott know what his best team is? Have we replaced one Tinker man with another? Um, I think it's a very good point from Thomas. It is a really
1: good point, but I think he kind of almost answers his own question early doors where he said, if we were doing well, I'd call it healthy rotation. You know, when you're doing badly, you feel the need to tinker because you're like, something didn't go right last week. We need to improve on that. And something that we massively criticised Slavisa for was being too stubborn to adapt his team to opposition. And actually, I think that's something that Scott does with lineups, maybe not with tactics and things, but with lineups quite well. You know, when he sees a side are going to drop deep, he plays Bobby and, and Tom in the middle together to allow us to have more creative fulcrums in that kind of 10 role. And when there are teams set up who are a little bit more controlling of possession... You have a Steph in there or you have a Harry Arter in there or, or someone to basically challenge, break up play, win ball in the middle. So I, I do think that rotation and adapt adaptation for your opposition is a good thing. However, he has a really good point and that there hasn't really been a settlement field and and actually something that that's the team when we did do well was had in its favor was that that midfield three was very settled yeah you knew exactly who was on the team sheet every single week yeah and they had a brilliant backup in ollie norwood who basically could play all of the positions um so yes and no in in many regards it's yes i'll be a bit worried about the fact that we haven't seemed to decide on a settled midfield three uh, especially the three in the middle i think on the wings and up you know obviously mitch is going to play all the games but On the wings and allowing people to rotate out there, I have less of a problem with because your wingers are kind of less intrinsic. But yeah, it does worry me that there is a midfield three, not settled yet. And I think we need to work out that balance very quickly.
0: All right, let's uh, do two more. You've got one you wanted to uh, have a look at, didn't you?
1: Aaron McGuigan says, is our squad as good as we think it is? HMS Mm. Piss the League is in choppy waters. Not one person has escaped criticism apart from Mitrovic, but no one seems to be taking responsibility or leading a revival. It's all going through the motions, very slow side-to-side motions.
0: Yeah, I think that we may need to send the lifeboat out for HMS Piss the League. Um, It is definitely uh, nowhere to be found at the moment. I, I find this hard and it's classic football fan bias that my instant thought is to say, yes, we definitely do have the best players in the league. But then again, how much have I actually studied the squads of every other side in the championship? I would say not loads. I think that I don't think there's a better striker. The Mitrovic in this league. I think that's undoubted. The rest of the players, I mean, you would say someone like Anthony Knockart should be a st- absolute standout player in this league, given what he's achieved in the past. But actually, I, I, I do wonder if occasionally we are just floating this line of we have the best team in the league. I think there are at least four or five other teams that would give us a run for our money. Yeah, I think there
1: are uh-huh. squad-wise. Squad I think there are definitely teams. I think that lead squad is Pretty sensational, if I'm being honest. And just because some of those players haven't been here before or haven't, you know, necessarily dominated in a division like this before, I, I don't think you can write them off. They got Helder Costa. Obviously, we got Cavalero. Yeah, you know, it's interesting to see which one of those is shining more. And at the moment, it's a bit of a it's a bit toss up. Helder Costa has been good for Leeds, but not set the world on fire. But you know, Neketai is there, Bamford's there, and while they all these players have their faults, they, they're very very good footballers, and. You know West Brom, brilliant side, but it's easy to forget that. You look at that Stoke side and you think very decent Championship unit. This, yeah. You look at Middlesbrough and you think very decent Championship unit. This, and both of those sides are struggling massively. So it's more than just about squad. You know, there are. If you look at Brentford squad, for example, you'd be immediately be like, "Who are some of these players?" But actually, they sign really well. They sign from abroad and they flip those players for a profit constantly. Yeah, um, and if Fulham adopted a model similar to what Brentford do for signing players, I would be over the moon. You know, they signed a couple of really clever midfielders this this summer. You know, they kept hold when they sold Romain Sawyer's. Everyone was like, "That's it. They're not going to have you know the midfield not been a problem." Ben Rahmer's still there, probably on balance the best midfield in this division.
0: The problem is, is the Brentford model doesn't bring instant success, which is what Fulham wanted this year. That model of finding obscure players, bringing them into this league, waiting for them to adapt to this league and letting their full potential come out does not happen in one season, which is what Fulham wanted to achieve this year.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. It's just a it's a question of, you know, how much do you want to achieve in the right kind of way in a sustainable sensible way and, and and I think you look at a Leicester City for example and there was a brilliant article by Rory Smith this week um about how Leicester after they won the league having en- engaged in this kind of very sensible thought driven and not romance driven narrative where they have been careful to pay the right respects to the players from that title winning team but when they were finished they were finished yeah you know, there was no Oh, we'll keep him on an extra year because he won the title with us. It was uh when that player's done, he's done. And we replaced them very sensibly with championship additions like James Madison, players that have come through their academy, a Hamza Chowdhury and, and a Ben Chilwell. You know, and they've bought in Ricardo Pereira, probably the you know, one of the best three right backs in the Premier League, and Mdidi, who's probably the best defensive mid, midfielder if we're counting Kante as an eight. Um, you know, they've they've gone through this model where they have signed sensibly and with a long-term future in mind, instead of just buying loads of players. And I'm not, I'm not saying Fulham have done badly. I'm not in any, any sense of the imagination. I think our signings this year were good. And there is a big question about this in a minute. Um, but I, I do think that the squad as a whole has more to give than what they're currently giving. But I don't think that it's like Fulham walk the league with the best squad. I, I think it's a, we're up there and we should be doing better than we are we are in that kind of top three or four bracket in terms of how good our squad is. And and that's, what's worrying me that that is not what the potential is showing right now. Indeed. Uh, what else did you have? Right. This is a rant and it's not from me for a change. Um, hey. There is a serious amount of, of tweets here. I think it's five. So Daniel at Knocker, I'm going to read the whole thing out and then we're going to deal with it. Right. He says Tony Khan has not so far received much criticism. Everyone said he'd learned from last season. However, he has still gone out, not really built a team, but just randomly signed big-name players. Hence, we have no left-back cover at the moment, no centre-back cover till January, no decent goalkeeper, no right-back, and so on. Furthermore, if we would go up, half the team now don't have a job, regardless of performances. Betts, Reem, Adoy, Christie, Steph... None loan players have set the world on fire in the Prem, so no guarantee. Unless they have exceptional season, no reason for us to sign them if they did go up. And if we don't go up, we lose all our best players and loan players don't stay, so we have to totally start again next year. Way things are going at the moment, and if we don't go up, the only players in starting eleven I want to see next year and realistically can see staying next year are Kearney and Brian. So Donny Khan has recreated a situation which I can't see going well, whatever happens. I think he's made the exact same mistakes he made last season in randomly signing big-name players. Apart from this time, they've got a bit of championship experience. Thoughts? there's a lot there's a lot to digest here
0: firstly uh, congratulations on breaking the guinness world record for speed talking that was impressive the amount of words that you got out there
1: it's a it's it's difficult it was a long one
0: um okay i mean i don't completely disagree with him i still think there are gaping holes in, in in what we did in, in the summer. And whilst there were mitigating circumstances, still the fact that we did not bring in a center back. And yes, there was the whole Cessignon money situation, but was still a failure. There must've been another way around it and it still can't be overlooked. that that was a major error. And we're looking at our defense at the moment. And whilst a few months ago, we might've been saying, I don't know where Hector fits in at the moment. I think that Hector will have a big part to play once he is available fr- from January the 1st. I mean, there is an element of looking at every single position. I mean, in an ideal world, we'd have three quality players for every single position. Yeah, that's just nobody nev- has that in the January But that's just never going to happen. And even some of the best squads have some sort of hole where they don't have an awful lot of cover. And, and we're
1: always... If Andy Robinson gets injured at Liverpool, James Milner has to play left back. Yeah. That's not saying that that's, there's anything wrong with that, but you can't have double cover in every single position. It just doesn't exist. No one has that. Nobody in the entire league has all the cover that, that he's talking about. Here.
0: I think it comes down to what the Khans are, are, are trying to achieve. And, and a little bit of what we were just saying a minute ago, they want instant success this season. Yeah. They are not here for a long time they were here for a good time this season they wanted to go up straight away top two and be back in the premier league which is the only place that they see this business model being sustainable they don't see they are not interested in a three-year plan to get us up with a real long-term agenda
1: well, they might be if this doesn't work out there, there have they, to be well, a they, scale back and a, and a reset the clocks and, and we go again as a base model so you are right in, in some ways daniel that you know this is there is a little bit of damned if you do damned if you don't in this i feel i feel a bit like tony took the criticism on from what happened he said you know he, he saw that there were things that didn't work out in the premier league last year interesting i think the two players with premier league experience who we signed andre scherler and timothy fossu mensa were probably the worst two signings we made yeah so so there's that, and but he took on the thing. We said championship experience is what people wanted. We signed Knockart and Cavalera, and everyone went mad for it. Okay, and and where, whether Brighton have pulled the wool over our eyes with Knockart is a different question. But everybody was pretty pleased with that signing, I think, on the whole. Yeah. And if you if you look at those kind of things as a whole, and you and you deal with them. Then you have to take, you have to go, okay, we thought that was good because of what it was. He's tried to sign a centre back. Yes, you're right in that it was a failure. Mitigating circumstances for me, you know, we signed him, we've got him coming in in January, he's going to be ready to hit the ground running we don't know the ins and outs of what goes on in those transfer windows, right? I don't think at any point everyone was like, oh, we're really short of a left-back because Dennis Adoy can play on both sides and we wanted to see the emergence of Stephen Yeah, Everybody's been crying out of that for months and if we hadn't seen that and we'd signed a, uh, a right-back and Dennis Adoy was our left-back cover, people would have been like, we never give Sessignon a chance. So again, damned if you do, damned if you don't. The thing is
0: with this strategy, it's a, sh- it's a bit of a shit or bust strategy, this season. If we don't go up, there are big, big problems because, because you're going to lose Mitro. You're probably going to lose knockout. You're going to lose Cavalero. You may even potentially lose Kearney and also players like Harrison Reed, Harry Arter. Uh, I think Bobby Reed will stay no matter what, but you, we, we went for broke this season. We put nearly all our chips on, on a color and we're hoping to go up. If we do go up, I think we're in a, great i think we're in a good situation the only difficulty you may have is actually you maybe um will activate the clauses of a few players that actually you don't necessarily need next season and i know someone maybe like a harry Arter, i can't actually see us playing for us in the premier league but you might have activated a clause where you kind of have to sign harry Arter and you're stuck with a few players but there's there's worse situations to be in than that we are a bit buggered if we don't go up this year they they will have to find a way around it and we're going to lose a significant amount of our players.
1: I, I think the truth is that if we were to go we weren't to go up this year, the player you'd keep Bettinelli, for good or for bad, you know, whatever yeah. happens, I don't think Bettinelli's going anywhere. Yeah. You keep Joe Bryan because I don't think he's gonna go anywhere. You you will keep Michael Hector because he's not gonna sign in January and then leave in the summer, it's not gonna happen. You'll probably keep Mawson because I don't know if you don't if Mawson doesn't go up you, 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 you're sort of like who's going to buy him You will yeah. probably keep on because he's not ready yet I think Kenny will stay Mitrovic will go but does that free Bobby Reed to start up front I think there is a squad here you know maybe a Matt O'Reilly comes through maybe a you know he gets guaranteed minutes I think a Harrison Reed might might sign for us anyway you know, yeah. you're looking at, I think that there is a squad here that if we don't go up, yes, we're going to lose Mitrovic. You know, I, I think you may as well write that down in uh, you know, in, in ink if, you, if we don't go up. Mitrovic will go somewhere else. He has to, for his career. I wouldn't blame him. No. But I think you'd still keep quite a good core of a side. And I think that, yes, while the chips are in one basket, we've signed quite cleverly and we've not, you know, the things like the loan deals where players might not come back next year, Kind of works in this situation. You go out with a clean slate. We haven't actually spent very much money. We've spent a lot on wages, but we haven't spent that much money in the transfer market. I, I think it's been very sensibly done from a business perspective. Uh, maybe you know, maybe yes, we're looking back. We should probably have signed a left back cover. But on the whole, like I'm pretty happy with this squad. You know, the the only thing that I'd really, really want is a goalkeeper. You no, know, a top class goalkeeper we could sign to get us through to the next level who would be trusted. But you know, we do that. We do.
0: And, and that's the other thing is because now that Your money is in our back pocket and they paid for it in one installment from what I um, think is correct. Yeah. There is a big hole burning in the pocket and only the 5 million for Michael Hector of that Your money has been spent and it is there ready to spend.
1: Exactly. I, I think yes, there are questions to be raised on a football perspective in terms of buying big names doesn't always work out, as we learned last year. But And know, don't forget,
0: for the thing with Mitrovic,
1: yes, he'll go, but he'll go for a big fee. Yeah, he'll go for money. You know, we'll,
0: we'll gain money from that. Even if you got 25 million for Mitrovic, which actually could be under his value, then 25 million can buy you an awful lot. I think that's it. I,
1: and, and that's my kind of thing. I think that they're... Yes, there are problems. Yes, we should. Pro- we could probably do a left back cover, especially if Joe Bryan's injury is serious. And I think that maybe something we'll look to address. And yes, we could do with a goalkeeper. But on apart from that, uh, I think this squad is good. Uh, it's a strong squad. It's maybe not as strong as HMS Pistol League originally thought it was going to be. Yeah. But it's in there. It's still up there with the top squads in this division. And if, if we don't go up this year, I still think we're in quite a strong position.
0: The problem right now for me doesn't seem like the squad, it's tactics and the way we're using that Agreed. squad. Absolutely, That's agree. the biggest issue right now. And as much as I feel like you could knock Tony Khan in transfer windows right now, it's a little bit out of his hands.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think when it comes to January, we have to go through this again. These questions can be raised, but As far as I'm concerned, last summer was a successful transfer window from our perspective. You know, yes, Michael Hector on the last day would have made it perfect almost. Yeah. But on the whole, I think everyone was reasonably pleased with the transfer window. uh, And Scott should be doing better with his squad as it stands.
0: Right. Well, uh, that is all for the Fulhamish podcast today. Uh, What are we going to name the episode today, Jack?
1: I'm going to tuck back to our three word reviews and go with Weekly Geekly's Halloween Horror Show.
0: Indeed. Well, uh, thank you very much for listening to the podcast today. Fulhamish Extra will return on Thursday. Dom and the boys uh, will be giving you a full preview for the Birmingham game. And also, uh, we're going to give you another opportunity to hear our mini documentary, which we did last year uh, on Fulham and the First World War. Um, It was something that I put together and um, I was... You know, I really enjoyed the experience of making it. And of course, Remembrance Day uh, is on its way round again. So if you didn't hear it the first time round, it's going to be in this week's Fulhamish Extra. And uh, if you do manage to catch it, then uh, I really hope you enjoy and learn something from it because it was a fascinating experience putting it together this time last year. Uh, and I'm delighted that there's another opportunity for it to go out again. Uh, Jack Collins, thank you very much. Thank
1: you, mate. Appreciate it.
0: Bit of a ranty one. Bit, uh... It was
1: always going to be, wasn't it?
0: Um, I'm glad there was potentially only two of us today because it probably allowed us to properly get uh, our thoughts off our chest.
1: I think it was uh, there was a lot to talk about. There's a lot to work on, and you know, hopefully things look up from here. Hopefully it is the kick up the that everyone needed. Indeed. All right. Well, uh, thank you for listening. And Fulhamish Extra will be
0: back later in the week. Come on, you whites. You are.